Welcome to the Next Level Income Show, where it's our goal to raise your income, investments, and your life to the next level. I'm your host, Chris Larson. Get a free copy of our book at nextlevelincome.com. Just click on the book link, put your address in, I'll even send you a copy. Also, if you're an accredited investor, check out our invest link to learn how to gain access to our current multifamily acquisitions, as well as our new self-storage fund. On today's show, we have Dr. Tom Burns, also known as the Rich Doctor. Dr. Burns bought the very first copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. On today's show, he's going to tell you all about that story, how he grew his passive income to the point where it exceeded the income he was making as a surgeon, and so much more. Stay tuned. On today's show, we have Dr. Tom Burns. Dr. Burns is principal of Presario Ventures, a private equity real estate company in Austin, Texas. He's listed in the acknowledgement section of Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and is the author of Why Doctors Don't Get Rich, a personal finance guide for people who want to live life to the fullest. He's a sought-after speaker and coach and is frequently featured in nationally circulated print articles and popular real estate-oriented podcasts. Tom has been financially independent for a decade. His mission today is to help people create financial independence so they can enjoy life and all the joy that comes with it. Today's show is sponsored by Money Insights and their Investment Optimizer Strategy. In my book, I share how I use the same strategy starting over a decade ago to invest my money in two places at one time. This strategy has been used by the wealthiest for generations for estate planning, minimizing taxes, preserving wealth, and increasing stability for their investments. Now you can do the same thing. In addition, you can build a plan to build an emergency fund, pay for college, fund a business, plan for retirement, and ultimately optimize your total financial picture. To find out more information, check us out at the banking link at nextlevelincome.com. Dr. Burns, welcome to the show. Chris, glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I am really excited to introduce you to our audience because you know I spent nearly two decades getting to work with, with professionals like yourselves, orthopedic surgeons, and it's such a wonderful industry. You know, I was in medical devices and I just to get to see uh, physicians like yourself practice their craft, help patients and, and see what happens. It's just amazing. And to be able to blend my two loves of real estate investing and working with medical professionals on this show with you is a real treat. That's true. Well, the hard part is you had to sell orthopedic surgeon stuff. So I'm not sure. <laughs> you must have been really good. <laughs> I, it, with the funny, I had doctors, they tell me, they're like, Chris, I don't know how you do what I do. I would, or you do, you'd, I would never want to work with my, you know, my partners and do that. I'm like, well, you kind of like, you do work with your partners. So like, yeah, but not like in the OR like you do. I was like, okay. It's funny, right? You just everybody has their different their different skill sets, and I don't. I am not meant to to hold a knife and and stand there over over a patient. So I thought it was it was really cool to be part of a team, and like I said, get to work with people like yourself. But anyway, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your story, uh, Tom, before we kind of dive in and talk about um, the real estate side of your career. But uh, catch the audience up and kind of tell us how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so really, kind of un- unspecial story. I think you know, I was just. <laughs> I was just a kid in a good home with two parents that treated me great. And my dad was a secret service agent. So he was a cop. Mom was a nurse. I grew up playing sports. That's what I did. Kind of discovered girls. And I always tell everybody I was playing sports and chasing girls. Well, at least I was successful in sports. Um, <laughs> so, and I did that on through high school. And, and uh, 
came to a point where I realized that uh, nobody was going to pay me to be an athlete. I was pretty good, but there's good and there's other levels, right? I, I was reasonably relate. good in school and uh, and loved sports. And so I decided to go to medical school, get into orthopedic surgery and be a sports medicine guy so I could hang out with athletes because I was used to that. So I did that. Went to finish college at the University of Texas, went and did the medical school thing and learned to be an orthopedic surgeon and finished up in Vail, Colorado. Met a lot of sports stars, a lot of Hollywood folks. It was really, it was an education. And uh, part of that, it, part of my financial education came from there too, as I may mention in the future. But I, uh, prior to getting to Vail in my residency, so to, to catch your audience up, you know, you go, to, you go to high school, you go to college, then you go to four years of medical school, and then you go learn how to do your doctor's thing. So it was five years of orthopedic training, and then a, a sixth year for me to do the sports medicine fellowship. So in the middle of that training, I had done nothing but kind of do my thing and follow that path, right? Uh, up to, you know, about 60% of the way through my orthopedic training, I started watching the doctors that were teaching me. And, you know, these were the guys that I'm supposed to emulate for the next 40 years. They're the one that's my life. That's a, that's a snapshot of what it's going to be like for me. And these guys, while they drove nice cars and, and seemed to have big houses, they, were, they weren't smiling very much. Several of them were on their second or third marriage. They were in the hospital late at night, you know, working when, you know, they had us indentured servants there to do the work for them. So I looked at their lives and decided I didn't necessarily want their money if I had to have their lives. So I loved what I did. I enjoyed the orthopedics, but I thought maybe it might be, might be prudent to find something maybe outside of medicine that wasn't correlated with seeing patients or doing surgeries to just maybe bring in some income. Didn't know that passive income term yet. So I did what I could. There wasn't an internet to, to play with at the time, or at least I wasn't friends enough with Al Gore, so I couldn't get into the early version of the internet. Uh, so, you know, everything was books and whatever. I went to free seminars and things like that. I learned what I could and then finished my training, came back to Austin, Texas, where I grew up, paid off some Great bills with the nice salary that I got as a doctor. Wasn't a partner yet. Once I had sort of paid, I paid off my student loans. I paid off some other stuff. And all the while I was learning, and once I kind of had a good base settled, I just sort of jumped in. I started buying things. And so buying that's assets. I got my, started buying assets. Yeah. The first thing was a student condominium at the University of Texas, which I still own. So that's awesome. That then is the awesome. real education began. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that's, uh, again, you say it's, it's kind, of a, a kind of a simple story, but I think there's some highlights in there and you're very humble, which is uh, one of the other reasons I, I love having you on the show here. And I, I said, hey, buy assets because that's something that Rich Dad Poor Dad talks about, right? That Robert Kiyosaki talks about in his book. And I know I know you have a relationship with Robert, but how did you, like what really, in, we can get back to that in a second, but what really inspired you, Tom, to buy that first commercial property? Do you remember? Yeah, it was, well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I had a relative who had to come down to the university. It was actually, it was one of my wife's nephews or something. Yeah. Was, I was just about ready to do something. He had to come down and live at the University of Texas and wasn't living with us at the time. So I thought, I got a built-in tenant. So I went and found something and bought it for him to move into. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. And plus it was time. I had really, I, and I, you know, I had, a, I had a good job and my bills were pretty low. My student debt was nothing compared to what's going on today for physicians. Oh. So it was very manageable. I just didn't want my family to suffer because of my attention deficit and my, you know, my willingness to take risk. I didn't, you know, I had a good job and I didn't want to jeopardize that. So I kind of took care of a few things and, um, but knew it was time for me to start bringing in some sort of income outside of, uh, outside of medicine. 
and I, and I had read a little book. By then, I had actually read a book. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So you did you, your first little deal, which that's actually, it's, it's funny. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was a student condominium. My first property was uh, a three-bedroom townhouse in Blacksburg, Virginia, where I went to school at Virginia Tech. And I had a built-in tenant too myself, and I I, I rented out the other two rooms. Um, and it's yeah, student. So do you, do you own any other student housing today? Have you, did you continue yeah, so in that I, market? You know that, and once I once I latch onto something, so I learned a lot during that process. Learned how to get yeah. the you know get the inspections and find the debt and all that stuff. And, yeah, and learned all my lessons and quickly started buying more. So I bought double digits worth. You know, I had dozen awesome. dozen or so of them, and. Yeah. Uh, Still on most of those today. Started buying them in bulk. Mine, I bought a 40 unit at one point. So yeah. just kind of ratcheted up. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So started in student housing. What other assets in the real estate space, what other asset classes are you invested in across the real estate space today? So early on in the personal portfolio, I have a small mobile home park and started looking at those thinking, hey, maybe I'll buy more mobile home parks, which I wish I had. Oh, I thought they were a bit overpriced right. at the time at an eight cap. So not the smartest guy in the world. But anyway, some mobile homes. I own some notes. Uh, yeah. I bought I bought one. I'm not a single family home guy, but I bought one single family home. It was actually two homes on one lot. But in the back of that lot was an AT&T tower. And uh, mm-hmm. you know the direct deposit from AT&T covered all the expenses of that property. And the, whatever rent I got was Brady. So I went ahead and got that property. But I don't still have that. You know, beyond that, it's uh, started moving into medical office space and multifamily is uh, yeah. sort of primary investment stuff. Man. Yeah. So you blended the two and that's, you know, the surgeon investors that I work with, you know, a decent portion of them have an ownership interest in the medical office buildings. And, right. you know, I love about you, Tom, is you're, you're a business, you're a businessman in addition to being a surgeon. I think that that sets you apart. I'd love to talk a little bit about kind of like the, the future of medicine here in a little bit. But maybe you could talk about, and I think, but let's just, let's shift this a little bit to the general audience. If you're a business owner, because we own our property in, in downtown Asheville that our business, right. my wife and I, our businesses rent. Can you talk a little bit about the advantages of having a business and actually owning the property or being an owner uh, or partner in property that your business or your practice is a part of? Oh, absolutely. You know, so you, you use the business to generate cash and, and then you've got your, and then you've got this hard asset as well. So, you know, typically you'd want to split that ownership up. One entity owns the real estate, the business yeah. is its own operating entity. That entity pays rent to the business. I, excuse me, pays rent to the, uh, to the owner of the real estate. So you use your business to buy your real estate, just like you use, you know, this sounds strange, like you use your tenants to pay for your, pay down your loan. It sounds yeah. bad, but tenants pay your loan gladly, right? Yeah. So, you know, the benefit, you separate, separate out a couple of assets, Depending on what your business is, if you have any liabilities in that business, if there's an issue, uh, they can certainly come after whatever you've done in your business, however you have that shielded, but they can't get to the real estate because all you are is a tenant. And likewise, if something happens on your property, it's uh, at least it, stick, it stays with your real estate, doesn't affect your business. So it's separation of the assets. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And you know, I think if you're if you're listening and you and you haven't considered this, like the other thing is you know the tenant. You know, you know what their cash flow situation is, you know who they're, you know, you know if they can pay, you you know what rent they can afford and you can adjust that rent to optimize. And that that's I think that's one of the cool things is you know, you can you can move rents up and down from both sides of the equation to make sure you know you optimize both sides of that while still maintaining a lot of those benefits, right? 
Yeah, and you, and you know, keep it reasonably arm's length so that it's not, you know, so if it's a bad month, you don't drop rent that month. You try, you want to keep it pretty consistent so that so there's absolutely. no blending of the two in case in case somebody wants to try to pierce that veil. Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, yeah, I guess my point being, you know, you can certainly, you know, have uh, a rent that's that's market based, but also make sure that it it's maintains your cash flow and all that in a pretty in a pretty mm-hmm. certain manner, especially if you have other tenants that are kind of in and out of that space. So that's yeah, a great way to do it. It's a great yeah. way. To- yeah. So if you have a business and you're listening and you you rent today, certainly consider uh, what Tom's talking about, which is which is looking at, hey, can I can I own this own this real estate and and use that rent that you're already paying to go out and do that. And it's it's interesting because it reminded me like that sounds a lot like Rich Dad Poor Dad, like uh, like Robert talks about. So how did you meet Robert Kiyosaki? And tell us a little bit about that story and kind of some of the uh, partnerships that you've had since then. Sure. So, you know, this was back in the day when I was reading everything I could get my hands on. As the story goes, family was out of town and I was out running errands. My truck was dirty. So I took it to the car wash, you know, dumped off my car, walked inside, went to the counter to pay my bill and, and off to the off to the left. And in the back was this handwritten sign that said books for sale and sort of a pile of these purple books. And I, as I said, I was reading kind of everything at the time, a lot of personal development, a lot of real estate, anything that had to do with money and in the mind and things like that. And it said rich something. So let me see, let me see that. It said rich dad, poor dad, you know, what the what the rich teach their kids about money that the poor and middle class don't. And I thought, well, that was a that was a bit of a cocky statement. So, you know, anybody that can put that on his book got to have something to say to me. So I said, put it on my bill. And uh, I went home and did a bunch of other things. And you know, I tossed that book on my desk in my office. I finally was going to bed at about 1130 that night. And I walked past my office saw this book that I hadn't even opened and kind of flipped the first page and read a little bit. Kind of enjoyed what I was reading. I read a few more. I kind of leaned against the desk and read some more. Sat down just to read maybe a chapter to see what I was going to read one day. And about four hours later, I was finished with the book. So wow. really, you know, obviously, obviously caught my attention, caught my everything uh, like it has for 44 million people over the past 24 years. It's incredible. And, uh, you know, it was 3.30 in the morning. I couldn't tell anybody anything. And I waited until in the morning, told a friend of mine, I just read the best business book I've ever read in my life. And he sort of scoffed a little and said, sure you did. I got in the book. He called me back. He said, you were right. Called the, wanted to know who this guy was because never heard of this fella. You know, it wasn't Mark Victor Hansen or Jim Collins. It was some unknown person, you know? And so we wanted to call the publisher just to find out. And when we called the number on the other end of the line was Robert Kiyosaki. How about that? And it turns out that this was a self-published book. Everybody turned him down. It was designed primarily as a brochure to sell his game, Cash Flow. Yeah, and, which I also which bought. Which is a great game. And Cash Flow for Kids, which we have for our kids now. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful game. So he only printed a thousand copies. So I called him up and said, uh, you know, hey, <laughs> you got any books left? He goes, well... He goes, he goes, I sent, I sent two dozen to Austin. So I got 976 books left to say, cause nobody's buying them. <laughs> so I said, but we'll take the rest. And so we went out and visited wow. with Robert. He taught us how to play cash flow. Yeah. My wife won with Robert's with Robert standing over her, you know, telling her what to do. So he gave us that game. That was her prize was one of his cash flow games. Still oh, sits so in cool. the cabinet back here. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he uh, really he handed me a bunch of books from his trunk. And I, I said, I don't want to take all your books. He said, don't worry, nobody's going to buy them anyway. Bit of an understatement. And, uh, you know, so we got to be pretty good friends. I ended up connecting a lot with him. I helped him edit part of Cashflow Quadrant. I still have the galley proof oh, cool. upstairs. 
I brought him out to Austin to talk to some friends, spend a lot of his investment stuff. So we've stayed friends for the past 24 years. And, you know, just recently, probably probably about three years ago. Oh, by the way, that was the first Rich Dad Poor Dad ever purchased. First book ever Yours purchased. Yours was. Uh, mine was. Yeah. Now that's, now I didn't know that. I, that is, yeah. that is awesome. That is a story that's right the, there. That's the kind of beauty of the story because there were 24 books sitting there at, uh, at the car wash. I went back and bought the rest of them, handed them out okay. to friends. And I kept that original book and uh, I gave it back wow. to Robert two, three wow. years ago. And so that's cool. So he's yeah. got the first book ever. And then he's got, and he's got my book uh, hung up right next to it. Which uh, I love for. that. Which yeah, so, you uh, and we'll we'll share with the audience here how to get get your book. So I I Robert gave me the copy that I have on my on my desks, but wow. that is a little bit yeah. It was with uh well now the late Gene Guarino. I don't know if you knew Gene. Yeah, Gene. Ter- terrible yeah. news. But we met at uh, at Gene's uh, conference two years ago, almost to the day. So yeah, yeah. So well, that is a uh, that's that's an amazing story though. Yeah. So. And that's always, yeah, we've stayed friends, stayed friends ever since. I talked to him ever so often. So, but he's yeah. you know, certainly been a lot for a lot of people. You can't turn a corner without somebody saying that little purple book changed their lives. Yeah. In fact, I'm doing a very big project right now with a person in the tech world. And he said the other day that that book turned him around and got him going. So I hear those stories all the time. Oh, absolutely. I'll, ne- I'll never forget. I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, and it was, uh, this, I think it was the summer of 1999. And I was in uh, Barnes and Noble and a gentleman, I was, you know, walking the finance aisle. I was, I was in the process of, of reading hundreds of like finance books at the time. And this guy holds up Rich Dad Poor Dad and he goes, are you looking for a book to read? I said, I'm always looking for, for a book to read. He goes, you need to read this. So I was like, I don't know this guy, but you know, he's, he's standing there in the finance, you know, money section too. I'm like, okay. So I looked at him like, all right, this, this is good. And I don't think any of his other books were out at the time. I think it was, I could be wrong. Maybe Cashflow Quadrant was, Maybe um, you know, but I read it and then I bought every single book after that, that yeah. he wrote. And I'll, I'll never forget reading through all those. And as they'd come out and Tom Wheelwright came out with his and uh, all these come out. So yeah, it's, it's certainly helped shape so many of my decisions. And I'll never forget thinking like, I need to be accredited. That's, that's where I first came up with that concept. So Tom, again, you know, you've, uh, had the fortune to read that book and, and do that. You know, medicine's changed a lot. You know, since you've been in it, since even you know, I've kind of been been in there. But why do you think that doctors who you know are most of them are in the top one percent? Especially if you're a specialist, if you're a surgeon, you're right. most likely in the top one percent. You're accredited. You have access to all this money, all these opportunities that are out there. Why don't you think more doctors are financially independent? It's mindset and training. You know, okay. for that reason, you know, those doctors that, that were teaching me way back when, when I was in training, they made a lot of money relative, yeah. you know, to the inflation, oh, yeah. they, they were doing really well, but still unhappy. And if they got hit by a bus or broke a leg, they weren't going to keep making that money. So it's mostly mindset, right? You know, all, all doctors, doctors are a great, great group of folks. They're my folks, you know, they're, they're husbands, mothers, daughters, sons, you know, they, they just want to enjoy life. They do have a bit of a servant's heart. Rarely do you find a doctor that got into medicine for the money. And the money is, Absolutely. there's certainly some surety of a, of a nice lifestyle. And sometimes you can make quite a lot of money as a physician. But to answer your question, as you go through, you start, you know, all you know is I, once you start working is either I gather a paycheck, which is over 50% of physicians now, which is not necessarily a good thing, I think, for all of us that maybe aren't physicians that are going to get treated by doctors. 
And what you mean are those physicians are now employees, right? Employees, absolutely. Yeah. They're in the E yeah. quadrant now. Employees. The rest yeah. of them are in the S quadrant, if you know the cash flow quadrant. They're yeah. working for themselves. But as you know, on that left side of that quadrant, both if you don't work, you don't get paid. And so certainly we're trained for do a service, do a surgery, you get paid. Myself, I realized that you know the more successful I got, the less time I was going to have. So uh, that was no fun. And that's what happens time, to the Money. Yeah. So I think it's it's certainly not intellect because they've certainly got it. And it's not that they can't. They just either maybe have not been exposed and don't realize what's behind the curtain or maybe they don't want to. And that's, you know, life is a bell curve. Some people don't want to. Some people really do and are searching down the others. Maybe just haven't been exposed. So that's sort of my take. I, I believe passive income through cash flowing assets is just a way to create freedom, which gives you the time to have the life that you really want. And they want it. They just maybe don't know how to get it yet. Yes. I mean, you know, 30 years ago compared to today, the debt is substantially higher when you come out of med school. Come on. Yeah. The compensation when adjusted for inflation is lower. You're probably more likely to be employed, which means you have somebody that has more control over your compensation. There's, you know, more and more government influence on the healthcare sector as, as the years go on. It, I just, I look at, I look at the industry and you tell me, um, the healthcare industry, it looks like costs are going up and compensation is going down and, and the doctors are right in the middle getting squeezed. Yeah. There's, there's gotta be an inflection point at some point. Uh, yeah. you know, the physicians are something like, you know, two to 4% of the costs of medicine. And, and, you know, I do have a graph somewhere and you may have seen it in the book where, you know, inflation goes up by 22% and doctor income goes up by two and a half percent. So, yeah. You know, 20% difference over 10 years, that's just a 20% loss of buying power. So yeah, it's it's kind of where things are going. Unfortunately, corporate medicine is not so great, I don't think, for all of us. And even if even if you're not in corporate medicine, if you're running your own practice, you're still not in control because somebody else, for example, the insurance company, determines how much you're going to get paid. It's not the best get paid more and the worst don't get as much business. Everybody gets paid the same based on what the insurance company says. So not a lot of control in medicine. We don't feel sorry for them. They still make very, very nice salaries. So it's don't ever want anybody to feel sorry for a physician. Yeah. So, but I mean, it is it is a challenging thing, and that's where I think you know where you come in, Tom. Where I have uh, actually one of our investors, he has made some really good choices over the past five or so years. He has some great income coming in. HCA comes into Asheville and buys the hospital and put a lot of pressure on his practice. And he said to me, he said, you know what, Chris? He goes because I have this passive income coming in. I'm not really worried because I know I can stay here. I want to live here. I want my family to, you know, finish out school here. And even if the the money isn't exactly what I want, I know I have a choice. And I know Tom, your personal story, you know, talking about when your passive income exceeded, and I think this is a really impressive achievement, but your passive income exceeded your earnings as a physician. Walk me through that. And did you give up medicine together? What do you how are how are you still involved in in practice? Are you and you know what did that really do for you in your life? Oh, it was it was liberating. It was liberating, and, and just that that story that you just told. You know that that physician may not have reached the point where his where his passive income eclipses his medical income, but you can you know you can have partial freedom, partial freedom, and that's what it gave him. It, you said the word; it gave him choices. So yeah. just having some yeah. pressure taken off gives you the ability to have choice where you can keep his kids in the school that they like or stay in Asheville where he likes to stay. And that's what it's all about. Passive income gives you choice. And as humans, we want to control our environment, meaning we want to have choice about what we do, where we do it, and who we do it with. So yeah. it's important. And 
in my world, you know, I, I just, I just would, I would buy an asset. It would create passive income and I would keep that in its, you know, in its own little bucket and it would grow. And over time I'd buy multiples and they'd all kind of grow together. And sometimes my money would make babies. And so there'd be enough money there. So I could go buy something else that just sort of compounded on itself. Yeah. And that's really important. And I truly remember I, I, I used to, you know, every quarter or so I would look through, I, you know, I used a software program, just quicken something simple. I moved on to double entry QuickBooks, you know, a couple, 15 years ago, but, and I knew what I was paying each year for utilities, mortgage, clothing, groceries, whatever. You had those categories. And I realized over time that I had finally, I had finally covered each one of those categories and didn't necessarily need my, my income. It was a great feeling. What did I do? I just, I just kept doubling down and kept investing and kept that money separate. Took a little more time off. And I kept, uh, I kept practicing for 12 years after I did not necessarily need the money. Wow. So 12 years. I, well, one, I enjoyed orthopedics. Most yeah. doctors do enjoy what they do. Absolutely. But the reason I enjoyed it is my, my passive income was growing as my practice was growing. So I, I just think I was kind of blessed to have that, that sort of situation because as things came up that were unpleasant, like taking call, doctors have to stay up all night and take emergencies and not sleep and things like that. I eliminated that in the 1900s. It was great. That's a cool um, statement in the 1900s. That sounds like a pretty cool statement. Like too. To and if, yeah, if you're a physician, you're listening, you'll, you'll love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. 21, but you know, 21 years. So, yeah. you know, short, just nine years into my practice, I wasn't taking yeah. call anymore, maybe even earlier. And so eliminated call. I finally took a Friday afternoon off and that was addicting because all of a sudden I had a two and a half day weekend yeah. and uh, it just kept going like that. So, that lasted, and uh, you know, the last probably the last four years of my uh, my tenure as an orthopedic surgeon, my physician assistant made more money than I did. I had a my 2019 W2 was was laughable, but that's just proof that I was really enjoying what I was doing. I didn't have anything pulling me away. I loved my patients. I loved my job. I had a great team, and uh, finally, some other things have have finally grown to the point where I can, rather than serving patients one at a time, I can serve people on a on a larger scale, one to many. And so I sort of hung up the scalpel on April 30th this year. Wow. Well, congratulations. We met shortly thereafter. I want you to share with the audience kind of your, your next chapter here, but I just want to bookend that. And I want to read this quote by Robert, uh, Robert Kiyosaki. And I always tell investors like, you know, I, I truly believe, and I, I feel this because I've kind of gone through the process. When you're financially independent, I just think you become better. You become better at who you are. Like if you're, if you're a surgeon, if you're a salesperson, if you're a mother, if you're a teacher, whatever it might be, you become better at that. And Robert says, if every doctor followed Tom's rich doctor principles, millions of physicians and their patients would benefit because financially free doctors equate to better healthcare for everyone. And I, I absolutely love that quote. So Tom, you've, like you said, you've started to look for ways to give back to help more people. You have an awesome book, uh, which I, I encourage you all to get. I have it myself. Share with the audience your next chapter and, and what you have in store for, for the future. Yeah. So, well, it all started because Robert suggested, I was asking Robert one day what, what his next book was going to be because, you know, they put one out about every year, it seems like. Oh, yeah. He's, I can't keep up now. I used to keep up. I feel like I'm, I've fallen a few, a few behind. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, he's got to get on like auto serve or something. But uh, so he told me and he goes, you should write a book. I said, ah, he goes, no, you got a story. You should write a book. So, yeah. you know, Mr. Suggestible, I said, okay. So I wrote a book. But I just, I just wrote the book. You know, a lot of people would like to write one and don't. So I just wrote it to write it. It was during the writing of that book when I did my research and found out 
you know, I was a pretty happy doctor because I had the passive income. I found out how many unhappy physicians there were, how many unhappy lawyers, accountants, and engineers too, believe it or not, people that sort of feel like oh. they're trapped in their job. Yeah, and absolutely. That's where the mission was born. And so I started a little website and have uh, improved that. And, and it's just been an organic growth. But you know, now I, I try to help people kind of do the same thing. And, and that's sort of where life's, life's taken me. The, the book got published and been blessed to have, a, have quite a few people read it. And, uh, and some people maybe ask for some help. And that's, what's, that's really what gave me some purpose outside of medicine. And so that's what allowed me to maybe step away from something I love to something I, yeah. I love more. Yeah, no, it's, I think your passion, your purpose is, is awesome, Tom. If you haven't checked it out, richdoctor.com is where you can find all about uh, what Tom has. He's got a coaching program as well. If you're a physician and you're listening, I highly encourage you to, to reach out to Tom. He's got uh, tremendous knowledge through all of his experience. And I'm going to ask you, Tom, excuse me, you can go back to your 25-year-old self and give yourself some advice. What would it be? You know, probably focus. I'm not sure if my lack of focus allowed me to experience a lot more of life or slowed me down. <laughs> you know? So, you know, sometimes people will say, what would you do different? I probably wouldn't change anything because my past is what made me who I am and uh, happy with that, but probably would, would stick with, you know, I would probably focus a little bit more. I jumped around a lot. So I'd focus and I would, I would probably as at 25 year old, I would get a mentor. I would get a gray head mentor right away. And that's one thing it took me some took me some time to do. And that that just shaved shaved years, if not a decade, off of my uh, off of my learning process and my success path. I, I think that's awesome advice. And I that's one of my top tips as well. And I, I take it from I look at I look at your profession, Tom. I look at surgeons that go through the process and go through med school and then they come out and they do a fellowship and they work alongside experts. Right to craft and hone their craft before they end up going with patients. And for some reason, you know, we used to have apprentices and, you know, I think that's amazing advice, no matter what you're looking to do. Yeah. The apprenticeship model was, you know, that's how a lot of people learn. It's how they've learned through the last hundreds of years. And, uh, well, you can, it's so much nicer to learn from somebody else's mistakes than from yours. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, if you want to check out Dr. Tom Burns, Tom, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you again? Just uh, you can go to richdoctor.com or you can send an email to hello at richdoctor.com and I'll get it. Awesome. Dr. Burns, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a true pleasure. Love being here. Hey, Chris here again. I hope you found this episode valuable. Now I have one more thing to gift you. We have a page for my coaching clients where you can get a free copy of my book as well as much more from previous guests on the show. Just check out nextlevelincome.com slash coaching to get a free copy of my book, audiobook, and much more. I'll send you a copy of my book and cover all the shipping costs as a thank you for listening to the podcast. Also, please like, share, and take just 90 seconds to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts.